Big Tony. Hey. Hey, Big Tony's on the line, bro. I can feel it. This time every week, this is going to work. Like this is this is what we needed to make sure that new podcasts every week, at least one. I'm excited. Every Wednesday, 8.30 a.m. Central, you and I were podcasting. This is the new schedule. It's happening. I'm very excited. Let's do it. Let's go, bro. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just had my coffee. Got a Coke Zero loaded up and a glass of water. So all my hydration and caffeine needs are I like it. Taken care of. I'm ready. I got I got my coffee. I got my Topo Chico ready to go. How how do you take your coffee? So last time I I get this cold brew concentrate. And so last time we talked about this, I was diluting it with water. Yep. Lately, I've been diluting it with a little milk. Okay. Um, I think it's just better on my stomach to have some calories come in with the caffeine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, you don't get as jittery? Um, I mean, debatable. Maybe it doesn't happen as fast. <laughs> but it's well, worth it. Man. It's worth it. <laughs> How old were you when you started drinking coffee? I feel like... I feel like it had to have been like high school or yeah, that sounds about right. High school age. I, like I felt, I felt contrarian to be like, no, I actually like the taste. <laughs> <You're> like, oh. <laughs> I remember the first time I tried coffee as a little kid, I was like, what the hell is wrong with, why would you drink this? It doesn't make any sense. But it's, it is interesting though, as you get older, you start to like the taste more. Now, yeah. like, I actually really enjoy it. But when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is gross. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know if you've ever gotten into, you know, different beans and different roasts, but there's a whole world. Bro, I used to own a coffee company. What? Did you not know this? No. You, re- Dude, I owned a coffee company for a while. Yeah. I. Um, All right. New podcast conversation. Are we, are we just switching? <laughs> No, but tell me about it, please. Dude, so I I love coffee. Like I really, really love coffee. And I used to talk about it all the time in my content, like constantly. Mm-hmm. It was a huge part of my brand. People would send me coffee from all over the world. It was, it was a huge part of my brand, probably between like 2015 to 2018. And I was a pro I get approached by people all the time to start businesses. And I like always no, 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 no. Well, there's this one guy. He reached out to me and he was like, Hey man, I would love to start a coffee business with you. And I was like, nah, like I just, I did, I sort of wrote it off, but we kept talking and he was like, Hey man, let me just like send you something. And I was like, okay, cool. He sent me an entire pitch for this coffee business. And like, it was beautifully well done. It was, mm. it was extraordinary. It was an incredibly well done pitch. It was laid out. It, it had like everything you could imagine. It was clearly not just some random schmuck being like, Hey, let's start a business together. Cause he wanted to capitalize off of my audience. He already had his own coffee business and he wanted to do one separately with me. He had all the systems in place. He had unbelievably high quality coffee. He was uh, based out of Colorado. So I flew from New York to Colorado. Actually, no, I didn't fly from New York. I was with Gary Vaynerchuk at the time. So we were in Vegas and I knew like I was coaching Gary seven days a week. So I didn't have much time. So when I finished coaching Gary in Vegas one day, 
I then took a flight to Colorado and then I hung out with him in Colorado for a few hours. And then I flew to New York so I could coach Gary the next day. But in Colorado, he took me to his facilities, uh, introduced me to all of his coffee. Like I started getting in really deep and I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a coffee business with this guy. So we basically like we start the coffee business together. It was to this day, the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I still get messages from people about it being like, man, I wish I could have that coffee, da, 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 all this stuff. And we initially, so my brand used to be a little bit different. It used to be very like unicorny and like, it was just like, I was just like Harry Potter mm-hmm. and like, just, it, it was very like fantasy, magical stuff. And like, whimsical. It's just like, yeah. Part of my personality. And I, I remember one morning I was making coffee on my Instagram story. And I just decided to call it unicorn blood. I just was like, yeah, my morning unicorn blood. And people lost it. Like I've got, I got more replies to that story than I have in any other story in my entire life. It was crazy. Like don't hurt the unicorns people or? No, no, no. Like they loved it. So oh, everyone okay. started calling their coffee unicorn blood. They just thought that it was like an amazing term for coffee and it like makes sense from the harry potter did do, do you, you yeah, harry yeah. Potter? Yeah. yeah so like you know like you drink unicorn blood and you can become well, immortal some people do at a huge cost you know listen you don't want to kill a unicorn i get it but called it unicorn blood people loved it and then so we ended up calling the company unicorn blood coffee but not long after that i was uh given a cease and desist by another coffee company because they had a blend of coffee that was called Unicorn Blood. Not not their company, but they had one blend called Unicorn Blood, which I didn't realize. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to go to fucking war over this. So went to war over it. And then I quickly learned that legalese or, or the legal system is the modern day warfare that like I want no part of. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, they came yeah. at me hard and I was like, all right, you know what? It's fine. Screw it. I'll change the name. So we changed the name to Unicorn Magic. So the Unicorn Magic Coffee was was then the name of it. And I structured it in the same way I structure my other businesses, which is it's a membership. So the only people who could buy the coffee were monthly members. But it wasn't just the coffee. Every month we sent out a box, a beautiful box. This guy, my, my business partner, Golan, he designed this beautiful box, made all these goodies in there. We had amazing, like funny coffee mugs and shirts and trinkets. Like it wasn't just the coffee you got, but the coffee was like the main thing. And, um, dude, it was doing really, really well. It was great, but I didn't like the process of doing it. I wasn't as passionate about the coffee business as I was about fitness business. I wasn't as passionate about getting people their coffee as I was passionate about, helping them improve their fitness and their health and the stuff I was doing in the inner circle. And it was the major issue aside from my lack of passion for it was I wasn't as good at delegating back then as I am now. So I was trying to do everything. Golan was doing all the stuff like on the ground with the hands. Like Golan was packaging all of the boxes himself, hundreds and hundreds of boxes every single month. Him and his wife were doing it. It, all of, it was just us. And then I was doing all of the emails, all of the marketing, all of the the brand promotion, everything. I was doing everything myself. And I remember I was traveling with Gary and uh, there was one time we were in Poland and I was writing sales emails from Poland at three in the morning, just exhausted. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't build my fitness business and the coffee business. And rather than me saying, you know what, how can I hire someone out and delegate out? I basically was like, I just want out of the business. So I got rid of my portion and, um, 
Golan took over the rest. And so Golan still actually has the coffee business himself that he runs and it does very well. But uh, yeah, man, I, I used to own a coffee business. And, wow. and who knows, maybe one day I'll bring it back. But for now, I'm just happy with the fitness stuff. That is so cool. And I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, man. Now I want to try it. That's the that's the obvious next I'll thing. See if I can get you a couple bags from Golan, I'll uh, I'll see what I can get. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. We we called them like one of the I think the most popular one we called it unicorn crack. That was like the most popular blend. It was it was very good. So what did you mean by crack? <laughs> you know like crack the drug <laughs> okay all right. just, you know, either way it was a funny answer was... what do we got for today brother awesome man we got a great message and actually i was wondering can i just read this yeah read it message out to start, I, I, feel I, would, like... I would not include their name okay. but yeah just, just read it out okay so i got a message the other day and it went like this hi there I love your podcast with Jordan Syatt. I have a lot of appreciation for Jordan's content and fitness, and I also recently have been wondering about his perspective on school as a child. My son is 11, and he's an incredible athlete already, but he struggles with ADHD and has a lot of doubt and confidence issues related to his school struggles. I know Jordan has talked about his struggles briefly in the past, but I have often wondered if he would share more on that, how he overcame those struggles what he would want parents to know, how his family positively impacted him growing up, and so on. I've never had those struggles that I see my son experiencing, so I think it would be cool to hear about someone else's experience, especially given Jordan's success in life with family and business. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I love that. I didn't want to have their name read out just because like, it's a pretty personal subject. You just never sure. know. But, um I, I'm excited about this. I think this is going to be a really good discussion. And and like you and I were talking about last night as we were sort of giving a loose outline to it, I just want to start off by making a clarification as to who this episode is really going to be for. The first part is this is going to be for the parents of children who might be struggling in school. Maybe they have ADD, ADHD, or something else entirely. But if your kids are struggling in school, I'm very excited for you to listen to this episode because... I want you to understand that success or lack of success in today's school is not at all a predictor of success outside of school. And it's very easy to get caught up in the, why isn't my child doing as well? Is my child not as smart as the other kids? Is my child going to struggle outside of school? Like It's very easy to get caught up in that based on the fucking grades that they're given in school, but it really, it doesn't mean anything at all. So that that's number one is for the parents. Number two, this is also for the kids. I get messages all the time from parents very similar to this. And I've had conversations with parents, kids as a result of it. And I know firsthand as we'll dive into and we'll discuss how devastating it can be to be a child who's given one of these diagnoses. And then you're separated from the rest of the class. You're treated very differently and usually not in a positive way. And you're essentially led to believe that you're stupid and that you can't succeed and that no matter what you do, like you're different and that's not a good thing. And I want the kids who are potentially struggling with this to understand that that is horseshit. That's not accurate at all. Again, the same message to the parents, like 
how well you do or don't do in a school setting has nothing to do with how well you will do outside of a school setting. I have some very close friends who were incredible in school, straight A students, got into some of the best universities, did very well in school. As soon as they got out of school, they've been struggling big time, like big, big time. And other kids I know, similar to myself, who did terrible in school, like truly remarkably awful in school. And not because we didn't want to do well, but because it was just the way that school was structured. Like I wasn't good at taking tests. I like had, it was very difficult for me. We've been able to do really, really well outside of school and not just in terms of business, but also in terms of relationships, in terms of just self, uh, self-defined happiness. There are many markers to success outside of business. Ironically, a lot of the ones who did terrible in school have done amazing in business on their own, but that's who this is mainly for. Obviously anyone listening, if you don't have kids or if you aren't one of these kids, we'd love for you to listen as well and maybe pass along to someone who, who is in this situation. But as someone who went through this as a child and saw my mom really struggle with it from the parent perspective, that's really who I'm aiming this towards. So that's, uh, that's the clarification I want to give at the beginning. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and, and I do think even for folks that maybe aren't going through this personally themselves or have kids that are going through this, I think it's an important conversation in general for all of us to have a better understanding of what it's like. And, you know, just to have more empathy in general um, and understanding mm-hmm. is good. So I like that. It's for everybody. too. <laughs> but yeah, do you remember the first time you really, it was brought to your attention or that you noticed that, hey, yeah. this something, something's different? Yeah. So I remember, <laughs> definitely I remember noticing that something was different. I remember having real issues in school from a very young age, from like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And I remember in first grade, I was getting in a lot of trouble. I, I was constantly being punished, first and second grade. So Miss Papetti first, Miss Parker second. I was constantly getting in trouble. I was constantly like, I would just be causing a ruckus, which to be fair, I feel like seven, eight, nine-year-old boys generally do that anyway which like you can start to hear my bias towards this and and we'll get more into it later. But as my punishment, I would often be held in from recess, which my mom would get so pissed about. She'd be like, this kid's got a fuck ton of energy. And your idea of punishment is to keep him pent up even more. So then when all he feels left out of recess, so he can't play the games. And then when the kids come back in from recess, red in the face and sweaty and laughing and having fun, he feels even more left out. And he's got even more energy because he wasn't out there with them. You think that's the best idea for a punishment for a seven, eight or nine year old boy? Like what's wrong with you? Yeah. But they, they didn't really listen. You know, they were like, oh, she's a helicopter mom, whatever it is. And I remember I started to be sent home with a note card at the end of every day with either a smiley face, a sad face, or like a nothing, like just like a straight face. It was the emoji of the day, if you will, yeah. where they like the, the teacher had stickers of smiley faces, sad faces, or a regular face. And uh, the face was essentially to denote how I did that day to my mom. 
it was it was the teacher's way of giving my mom like, all right. And, and I think they were trying to do it to keep me accountable because they knew that if I was like aware of what my mom would find out at the end of the day, then I might be on better behavior. But I would say like 99% of them were sad faces. <laughs> it just, it wasn't good. And my mom was trying to get me help. I didn't know it at the time. She told me later she was fighting to get me into, uh, get me, it was called an IEP, an individualized education plan. She said it, they were making it unbelievably difficult and it was, it was very challenging for her. And she had to take time off of work and to really try and get me the, the help that I needed in school. And, um, that's when I started to realize like there was something different that like, I wasn't one of the usual normal quote unquote kids who they didn't need all this extra help. They didn't like, I was the only one getting the note card with the happy face or sad face, whatever it was. It, it wasn't like the teacher tried to hide it either. At the end of the day, they'd be like, Jordan, come here for your note card. Like everyone knew that I was getting this note card, yeah. which I actually think looking back probably made it worse because then I wanted to like impress other kids and be funny. And so then I would try and get the sad face because the kids thought that was hilarious. But, um, that's when I realized something was different. And then I remember, I think it was third grade, going to school very early one morning to take these tests. And uh, it was, I don't know, I don't remember how it was framed to me, but I went into a, a private room to take these tests. And, and basically there was, I think they were trying to see like my memory and if I had ADD or ADHD, whatever it was. And uh, after that, they put from then on, I was put in a separate room at least like once a day, they would take me to a separate room. And like, it was nice. They had popcorn in the room. It was very, like, but like every day at a certain time, teachers would come in, they would take me and maybe a couple other kids out of the class. We'd go into this private room together and we'd work on other stuff. And, and that's when I was like, oh, okay, like there's something different about me than all the other kids. And like, I felt like a leper we're like, all right, I've got to be removed from this class, taken to another class. And then, uh, and yeah, so that, that's, I think when I started to realize it. And when that happened, like, did you have friends that you didn't talk to as much anymore? Or did it like affect your social life as a third grader? So I'm very blessed in many ways. One of which is like, I'm just a sociable dude. Like I, that's, I think, one of my greatest strengths, to be honest, is like my sociability, like my, how my mom would call it, I'm a good schmoozer is what she would say. And I care a lot about relationships, friendships, all, all of that stuff, like just my relationship with people. So it didn't get in the way of, of me wanting to hang out with these kids or being friends with them. It obviously like did create an immediate divide just because I wasn't there for a certain portion of the day. So I wasn't having the same experiences as them. I know for a fact that other kids who were in that class with me had real struggles with it, maybe because they weren't as sociable as I was. But one thing that absolutely did happen, I'll never forget this, is you start to get made fun of. Because it's, it's funny, we say like kids tease each other. Yeah, so do adults. We all tease each other. We all like make fun of each other. It's I think kids can be sometimes a little bit more blunt about it because they don't, necessarily think about it as much, but I would get made fun of. And I like, it was called the sped room. And so kids would love to like call me a sped. Oh, you're in sped, whatever it is. And I didn't really know what it meant until it was like, oh, okay, sped is special education. Oh yeah. Like you, you have this diagnosis, like you're stupid. And I vi vividly remember coming home one day from school. I think I was in third grade. It was the first year I was doing this. And, um, I just remember like crying 
mm-hmm. my eyes out in the living room. And my mom was like, what's going on? And I basically said, it's so funny. It was in third grade. I can't, like, I remember the girl I had a crush on in third grade. I guess like, like in the moment, I didn't think that third graders could have crushes or would think about relationships. But I said, I said, mom, no girl is ever going to want to date a stupid guy. And, and I was just sobbing. And I, mm. I remember the look on her face. I remember how devastated she was. My brother was in the back laughing. My brother and I had a real rivalry. He would always tell me that I was stupid. My brother would always say like, you're an idiot. Da, da, da. And then I would make fun of his weight. Like that's how we would like go back and forth. So my brother's in the back laughing and he would use that against me for the next 20 years of my life. And then, but yeah, I mean, I, it was from the very beginning immediately felt isolated, immediately felt different and felt immediate changes to the way that others perceived me, even though I was very sociable, even though like I I was very good at it, interacting with people. And I I liked having relationships with people. I, there an immediate divide that only got worse as I got older. Yeah. And hearing all this, it just kind of makes me remember what it was like to be in third grade. And I think we forget how perceptive and formed we are already mm, you know yeah dude yeah it was it was awful and then as i got older it got worse for for many reasons i remember i think by the time 5th grade started is when we started learning a new language and in 5th grade it was spanish and then when we got into middle school you had the choice between spanish or french or latin i think it was uh or maybe even german as well and I was so I was so excited to go to middle school to learn a language. I, I I was so excited. I've always been interested in languages. I've always been jealous of my my friend David, for example. He grew up speaking Russian was his first language in his house. Actually, when he went to school, he had to go to English as a second language class, and he learned his English is amazing. It's perfect. He doesn't have like, he's he's perfect English. Mm-hmm. And I was always jealous of people who learned other languages, and. So going to middle school, I was so excited because my brother would come home with his other language work. He was older than me and I was just looking forward to it. And I very quickly found out that I wasn't allowed to take a language because I was in sped. So as I, I'll never forget the first day we're going there, we're going all these different classes. I went into, I wanted to take French. I was like, I really wanted to learn French. I'm sitting in the French class on day one of school and all of a sudden this random woman comes in the class and she calls my name and I was like, yeah. So I stand up and I, and I thought I was in trouble. I was like, man, only on the first day, this is crazy. We go out in the hall and she was like, Hey, what's going on? I'm your sped teacher. And instead of you going to language, you're going to come to me during this block. And I was so mad. I was like, no, no, no. Like I want to take French though. It's like, yeah, I understand. But like you need special help. So we're going to do this instead. And I was just, I was so mad. And so it, the divide got even greater and greater and greater. And then having to explain to my friends why I was taken out of that class and why I wasn't, why I didn't come back in the rest of the the day or, or the rest of that period. I was just like, yeah, like, I remember I lied about it now. I, wow, I forgot. I lied. I forget what I said, but I was really embarrassed that I was taken in a special education class because we went to a new school. I didn't necessarily know I was going to be in special education still. And my friends were like, where'd you go? I wish I could remember what I said, but I remember I, I absolutely lied about it. And I tried to lie about it as long as I could throughout that school year. Cause people, where are you going? Where are you going? Why aren't you in the class? And I would try, I like just didn't want to tell them where I was going. I didn't want to say I was in sped. I didn't want to say I was getting extra help. I didn't want to say like, I just, I, I didn't want to say it. And, uh, 
eventually they, they figured it out. And I was like, yeah, but <laughs> it was, it was not a fun experience and not something that I was, I was ever happy about or excited about or felt welcomed in. It was, it was always a separation from the rest of society, if you will. Yeah. And you're pretty good at language, right? Like I've heard you speak Hebrew and it so sounds Hebrew. Yeah. It was so when I went to Israel when at 18, I was going for a year and I was like, my main goal is I want to be conversationally fluent. I want to be able to get through a conversation and maybe my grammar will be a little bit off and, and all of that, but I just wanted to be able to speak. And so I spent that entire year working so hard to learn Hebrew. I started at, so essentially they're a Hebrew. I took Hebrew classes. They call it Ulpan. And, uh, I started in the lowest level in, in order to do a, uh, grading or a level placement, they give you a sheet of paper and a, a, a conversation with someone to, to test you. I didn't know anything. I knew literally nothing. I remember I, on a road on the top, I was like, I can't read any of this. I said to the person testing me, I was like, I have no idea what the fuck you're saying. I don't speak Hebrew. So they put me in the lowest level. Mm-hmm. By the end of that year, I was in the second highest level, which I was really proud of. But I always, always, always have been interested in language. I've always thought that one of my favorite quotes is to know a second language is to have a second soul. And, and I think for me, like I've always wanted to express myself to other people in another language. There's just something about that that's just, it's just like a, a miracle to me. It's incredible. Yeah. Like the whole science of language and how language started, like it's, it's really insane. So I speak Hebrew. I would like to learn Russian as well. Ironically, like I think I'm actually good at languages. Like I mm-hmm. picked them up relatively easily. It like it wasn't overly difficult for me to learn Hebrew. My Hebrew is still not by any means like incredible, but I can have a conversation no problem. So um, yeah, I've always I always have been interested in languages and wanted to learn them. So I was I was livid that I wasn't allowed to in school. Yeah, but to tie that back, it didn't stop you from learning another language. Eventually, in the long run, yeah, exactly. Like I was able to when I graduated and I left for sure. To be to be fair, like in the long run, it didn't because I, I was both a combination of blessed and fortunate in order to have the opportunity to go to Israel for a year, but also you know there were things that I did to create that opportunity as well, which like so I think it, they both played into each other, but realistically, I don't think most people are going to have the opportunity to or have the opportunity and or take the opportunity to leave the country for a year to go learn across the world, right? I think most people, and that's something I was really surprised about when I got to college. I took a year off between high school and college, went to Israel for a year. That's when I started to learn Hebrew and I would keep going back over the years. But I would talk to kids and they'd they'd be like, yeah, I don't want to travel abroad. I'll miss my friends too much. I'm like, you're out of your fucking, like, you don't want to go to another country and try and learn a new language and meet new people. Like you'll make new friends and then you'll come back and you'll still have these friends and you'll learn a new culture. Like I, I think, uh, I had an amazing opportunity and, and I jumped at it, but, uh, I don't, I think most people would have a much harder time than I would with that in general, right? Regardless of whether ADD, ADHD, SPED, whatever it is, I just think it's it's a very unique situation that I would love to see more people take. I do know that in other countries, they're much more likely to travel. They're much less likely to just like they, in America, we have a very like regimented schedule of, okay, at 18, you go to college. By 22, you graduate, you get a job. It's like, but in other countries, it's not necessarily like that at all. It's like, you know, you take a year, you travel, you work small jobs, you meet people. And then a lot of times they won't start school or college until they're 25. I'm like, 
that's very smart because going to school at 18 on mommy and daddy's money and like not knowing what you want to do at all and just partying the whole time and then graduating, it's like you just spent an unbelievable amount of money and you don't even know what you want to do. It's like, it would have been much better if you traveled and met people and, and hung out and spent time like creating relationships and learning another language. Like, I, I don't know. I, my wife and I have been talking about that a lot with, with our daughter and we are very, very, like, we're going to be open to anything, but we're strongly going to push for her to take time off after high school. And I know we're, she's only eight months. We've got a long way to go, but like, <laughs> we think it's really important to take time off after school and, and travel, learn, meet new people, try new things. Cause 18 is just too young to, to say, all right. And, and this is coming from someone who knew what he wanted to do from a very, I wanted to be a strength coach from 14 years old. I knew what I wanted to do. I still think it was important to take time off. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, life is hopefully long. There's a, you want to, there's no reason to rush into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you experienced going through special education in grade school and junior high. What happened in high school? So high school, high school, it, (laughs) it's funny. My sped teacher in high school, her name is Shoshi Khan Woods, and she's the mother of one of my best friends ever, Eli. And she made my experience much better. And I also think by the time I got to high school, I had gotten to a point in which I was just like, fuck it. I I was like, I'm not even going to try anymore. I was tired of being treated differently. I was tired of essentially being told that I was stupid and that I, I was tired of it. And so I very much lived up to the level at which they thought I was, right? So the like, I'm trying to think, figure out the best way to explain it. But I remember, for example, when I went to this gym when I was 14 years old, and I've told this story before, I applied to this gym. I, I said, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I just want to come and learn from you. The two coaches at the gym, Stacy Shadler, Kevin McCarthy, from day one, they would call me Coach Jordan to all the clients. They would never refer to me as an intern. They would never refer to me as like a junior coach or what it was Coach Jordan. And I remember when I first heard that being like, oh my God, they're calling me a coach. I have to live up to being a coach. And I worked so much harder in order to live up to the level at which they were, they were putting me at from the very beginning. Whereas in school, they treated me like I was a fucking idiot. Hmm. And they would talk to me like I was an idiot. And they would, it, it was, I think it was people trying to be nice, but it felt patronizing to the highest degree. And so I was like, if they think I'm an idiot, then I'll act like an idiot. And I would not study for tests. I would literally, I remember on those, oh man, the Scantron sheets where you have to fill in all those bubbles. Dude, I would just, I would randomly fill them out. I wouldn't study for the test. I would have no, I would just randomly fill them out. Cool, I'm done. And my goal was just to be the first one out of the class. Mm-hmm. I was like, and I would tell the kids around me, like, check this out. Let's see how quickly I can get through it. And within seven minutes, I'd be done. And they would laugh. And then I would get that feedback. I'd be like, cool, this is just, I'm just the class clown. That's what I'm going to do. And basically, since I knew kids would make fun of me anyway for being in sped, I would just like try and beat them to the punch, right? Oftentimes how I think a lot of people who, who struggle with their weight they'll be the first one to comment on their weight as sort of like a defense mechanism as, a, as rather than wait for someone to make fun of them for it. I would just be the first one to comment on it. And 
Yeah. So, man, it, high school got to a point where I was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't really care. I'm going to embrace it. I'm just going to screw around. And it didn't really, what, what changed it was by the end of my freshman year, I was essentially almost failing every single class. I, there was a, I had a meeting with my mom and my teachers basically like, if you don't pull your shit together, you're going to have to repeat freshman year. And, but even that wasn't the big thing that really got me to change my gears. And I didn't even really fully change it, but my brother was a junior at that time when I was a freshman. And so we were going on college visits in the area because he wanted to look at which colleges he would go to. And my mom was like, you know what, you're coming with me. And I don't think she did. <laughs> I don't think she did it deliberately. I think that she just didn't want me home alone because she had no idea what I would do if I was home alone. She was like, you're coming on the college visits. You're not staying by yourself. So I went on the college visits and I would hear about, yeah, so this college accepts this GPA and this is really this GPA. And I was hearing all about these GPAs. And I was just like, oh my God, like I'm not getting into any of these schools. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not getting into any, and it was a, like the biggest reality check. And, and it wasn't just my mom saying anymore, you're going to have trouble getting into schools. It was now like, oh, like they're telling me I'm not getting into the school. I can't use my schmoozing to get in anymore. It's like, they're very much just like, you look at your GPA and that's like their first standard. If you don't meet that standard, boom, you're on the chopping block, you're off. So that, that scared me into being like, I need to do better in school. But I very much believe <laughs> that by this point, having been told that I'm stupid and that I'm not good enough and that I'm not gonna get figured out, I very much believed it. So I, instead of like trying to figure out how to do better and all that, I just started cheating on everything. And keep in mind, I'm not proud that I cheated my way through high school. It's not something that I want other people to do or that I want my kids to do. But I also just want to be honest with what I did. And like my actions as a 14, 15, 16 year old kid are not the same at 31. But um, I cheated my way through and, and they made it unbelievably easy for me to cheat because I was in special education. So I would never take my tests in the classroom. I would go to a special room. I would go to a special room and they would put me in this private room and I would just literally, there'd be a computer in the room and I would just Google every answer. Or like if there was no computer, then I would just take the textbook out or take the syllabus out or whatever it was, take the study guide out and I would just copy it. And that was it. There was actually one time, I'll never forget this. So my final paper senior year, Mr. Armistead's history class, final exam. So I was allowed to have like a four by six note card on all of my tests because of my IEP. And Mr. Armistead, he, he's one of my favorite teachers of all time. I very much think that he, he's the reason why I am uh, as good of a writer as I am. Like he just challenged me in many, many ways. He would come in early with me. He'd stay late with me. He, he really worked hard with me. So he, he was one of the few teachers that I think understood me and challenged me to, to work to a higher level. But anyway, I remember on his last exam and he was the only teacher that would do this. I would be in a separate room all the way across the school. It was probably like a seven minute walk to get there from the classroom. He would come in and check on me during the exams. Well, none of the other teachers would do this. All the other teachers, they would sit in the class, which I understood like he went really above and beyond. He would leave the class and come and check on me all the way across the building. And so that's remember, 14 minutes that class yeah. was uh, <laughs> not attended. Well, I think like he would ask one of the teachers in a, in a adjacent room to come in and just like keep an eye on everyone. Mm -hmm. I, instead of having a four by six and it was supposed to, supposed to be handwritten, what I did is I took the biggest note card you could buy at Staples, which is essentially like 
the size of an iPad. And I took the study guide and I shrunk it down to the smallest possible writing you could on the computer. And then I just glued it on both sides. And that was my like four by six note card. And you know, when you're doing something and you can feel someone watching you. Yeah. You like, you don't see them, but you can, it's this like evolutionary trait that we as humans have that, you know, there are eyes on you. So I felt eyes on me and I'm in this private room and I like, I, no one's in there, but I turn around and I see Mr. Armistead just like staring at me from behind, like looking over my shoulder and he sees this huge fucking note card, just like it, it, it wasn't good. And he easily, very easily could have said, all right, you're done, ripped up my test, which had happened to me before in other classes. I'd been caught cheating. They rip up the test. I'm done. He picked up the note card. He looked at both sides. He just made an audible, huh? And walked out. And this is my <laughs> final test as a senior in high school. And I, I was, I was so scared. Like, you know, you know, when like, you get really scared and like your butthole starts to quiver, like you're so scared, <laughs> like your bowels are about to fall out from like, I, I was so scared that I was going to be flunked out of, out of high school. I wouldn't graduate and nothing happened. I did well on the exam and I went back after graduation. I spoke to him and I was, and I said, why didn't you rip up the paper? Why didn't you report me? And he told me, he said, he gave me the best answer ever. He said, you had to type that whole thing out. You took the whole study guide. Mm -hmm. You typed the whole thing out. You shrunk it down. You made it all fit. I know you didn't do that in one try, which he was right. He was like, you took hours to make this study guide. And then you put it on your sheet, uh, on your, on your too big of a note card. He's like, you studied. Whether you like it or not, you studied for this exam mm -hmm. and you studied hard. He was like, in real life, you don't need to memorize everything. You can always look it up. You can always search. But the most important part is that you studied for it. He's like, that's what I care about. He's like, seeing how much work you put into that study guide, that's all I needed to see. I don't care about your grade. I don't care about your cheating on it because in real life, you don't need to memorize. Like we've got Google, we've got everything you need. You've got AI, you, everything you need the answer to, it's immediate. Memorization, and this is the teacher. He's like, it's a flawed way of teaching. He's like, you don't need to memorize every date and every name. You're not sure, cool, you Google it and you figure it out. But seeing the effort, that you put into that study guide is all I needed to know to, to not report you and not change the entire trajectory of your life based on, on that one test. So Mr. Armistead is forever, like I will forever be grateful for him in so many ways. And I doubt he listens to my stuff any at all, but if by any chance he does, Mr. Armistead from Lincoln Sudbury high school, God, I fucking love that guy. Also Stephen Lambert from the Lincoln Sudbury school systems, the two teachers that I'll, I'll just always be indebted to. So yeah, that, I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but that, yeah, I, I, I cheated my way through high school is really what I did. And, um, my mom would always say, I remember I told you this last night, my mom would always say, if I put in half as much effort into my schoolwork as I did into learning about strength training and nutrition and, and kinesiology and physiology and all that, then I would, I would be acing all of my exams. And she was right. The truth is, if I gave half as much effort to that stuff, I probably would have done very well. But I think there are a couple things that kept me back. Number one is I was living up to the the level that they put me at, which is so many of the teachers and so many, like they made me think that I was an idiot based on how they treated me. So I acted like an idiot. And also, I think probably the most important part or, or equally important to, as to the previous point is I just didn't care 
about what what I was learning. I didn't give a shit about geometry. I didn't care about the stuff I was learning in school. I really cared about nutrition. I really cared about strength training. I really cared about about learning about the anatomy of the hip, of the hip complex, the shoulder complex, and learning why people might be having pain, why people are struggling with this. And ironically now, 20 years later, very few people give a shit about the stuff they learned in high school and everyone's coming to me to learn about this. And so the point that that I really learned from this is, and I know it's very difficult to do on a grand scale, but maybe if we encourage kids to focus on the things that they really enjoy, and I'm not, and this is a separate talk, but like, I'm not talking about like video games, which by the way, video games can be a very lucrative career now, but like, if we get kids to focus on the stuff that they are passionate about and we help them help them learn because we all the parents say like anything is possible if you want to do it anything is possible Mm -hmm. just go after what you love well then how about we really encourage them to go after what they love how about instead of trying to force a square peg into a round hole force them to learn this geometry force like how about like if if a kid is really interested in history Let's let them go all in on history. If a kid is really interested in exercise and nutrition, let's let's like encourage that. Because if I was and I was so blessed to have my mom who let me after school go to this gym a couple towns over to work an intern at this gym throughout my whole thank God I had that opportunity. Because who knows if I if I didn't have that opportunity, what route, like what drugs I would have done, what routes I would have gone down if I didn't have the chance to have the outlet to, to go to this gym to learn from those amazing coaches, Kevin McCarthy, Stacey Shadler. If I didn't have that opportunity, I don't know where I would be. But I really think, you know, giving kids the chance to go after what they're truly passionate about is probably a far better strategy than shaming them and guilting them and forcing them to sit down and memorize shit that, quite frankly, most adults don't remember anyway. And they went through the whole process. It's like, yeah. it, it blows my mind that it, the whole Albert Einstein quote, like, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And I think from a schooling system perspective, this is what we see over and over and over again, generation to generation. We see people memorizing stuff, going through the same thing. They eventually find either something they're passionate about or they just find a job that, hey, this is going to pay the bills. They forget 98% of the stuff they were forced to memorize in school and they never use it again. And then they just, they figure out what skills they needed just for their job or in life. And then they get good at those skills. And so it's, it's, it, to me, it, it doesn't make sense the way things are structured right now. And, and from, um, the more granular perspective, you had people that called you coach Jordan. Mm. They yeah. had you up here. You had, you know, your teacher who was pretty much like, that's the best study guide I've ever seen Mm -hmm. and held you up here, Mm -hmm. you know, in high esteem. And you rose to that in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it just makes me wonder what would have happened if your other teachers were like that. Mm. Yeah. And if in special education, instead of saying, Hey, we're going to talk to you down here. If instead they saw your best, self and best attributes. Yeah. Speak to you in a way in which they give you the opportunity to rise up to a higher level, not like speak to you at the lowest level that like, <laughs> there's a famous quote and I, I don't know the verbatim quote, but it's to the effect of if you give a person the opportunity to rise up, very often they will take that opportunity to rise up to the level at which you hold them. Yeah. If you 
give the person the opportunity to go to the lowest level, then they will also take that opportunity. So give them the opportunity to rise to the highest level possible. Treat them in that way and they'll more often rise to that level because they're, they'll rise to the level that you give them. And if you give them the lowest level, then that's where they're going to go to. And I'm, I'm the prime example of that. And, you know, I know you were an athlete in high school. I wonder if that had something to do with your trajectory as well. Like maybe in academics, they were treating you as not as good mm-hmm. as the other students, but in athletics, you know, it was an even playing field. You were able to really rise to the occasion there. You know, it's a tr- so, so I have never thought about it from this perspective in terms of, I was always generally better at athletics than I was academics. And so they would often treat me better in athletics. I was treated better. I was looked up to. I was spoken better to. I was given priority in many ways. I was respected more. Whereas in academics, I was, I was like spoken down to. I was treated like an asshole. And to be fair, I gave teachers a hard time. Like I'm not a hundred percent innocent in this. Like to be fully objective, like I was the class clown. I was making it difficult for them. So I understand that. But I had some teachers who I was equally as difficult for and they really went above and beyond to hold me to a higher level and to not speak down to me. And um, that's Nathaniel Armistead and Stephen Lambert. Those are the two teachers who I will remember till the day I die. What do you, what do you think it was about them that let them see you that way or that why were they different than these other teachers? I think there were, there was a lot, I think their actions more than anything, but before we get into the actions that they took, these are the two teachers that didn't care about grades. They really didn't. They didn't care about what grade you got. They didn't care about you memorize. Like I'll give you another example this time using Stephen Lambert. I think I might've told this story on the podcast before I was going in early before school to study with Mr. Lambert. And I was staying after school to study with Mr. Lambert. I was, I'm terrible at math. And it's almost like a joke now on social media. And especially with, I have a, I have a separate podcast for personal trainers that I do with Mike Vicanti, the how to become a personal trainer podcast. And it's a big joke that like, I'm terrible at math. I'm really, really bad. But my mom was making me go in early and stay late. And these are not requirements for the teachers. The teachers do not have to come in early to tutor kids for free. And they do not have to stay late to tutor kids for free. This was all him doing it of his own volition. And I remember during the exam that we had after all of this extra studying, I was having a really hard time with this test. Even after all, like extra studying for, for weeks and weeks and weeks for hours. And he could probably see that I got, that I got frustrated. I left the classroom to go to the bathroom and I didn't really have to go to the bathroom. I just needed to leave the classroom. I was just like getting pissed. I come back and there's a note card on my desk with essentially giving me the answer to how to do the equation. He didn't give me the answer, but he's like, here's how you do it. In the middle of the test, he took the time. It wasn't like, oh, you should know this by now. It was, it was like, hey, I know how hard you worked. And I also know that you're having trouble remembering this. So I'm just going to remind you, this is how you do it. And then he let me do the work. But without that equation or that formula, I wouldn't have gotten it. And it's like, I get emotional thinking about it. It's like, and so many other teachers would not have done that. And I know that because they didn't. And it was the, him taking the initiative to say, listen, 
I don't need him to memorize this. I don't need him to know it definitively. I just need to know that he's working hard. I need to know that he's trying. And once he saw that I was trying, that was it. And I still didn't do great on the test. My grade wasn't very good. So maybe the idea that if I gave half as much effort, I would be acing my exams, maybe that's not even true. Maybe I wouldn't just because I'm not good at that stuff and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But the teachers who understood that grades weren't everything, that effort mattered much more. And that there, there were some teachers who would, um, I'm trying to think, figure out the right word, but it was as though if you weren't scoring highly on their exams, regardless of how much effort you put in, you just weren't good in their eyes. And whether or not they knew that they treated you differently, they did. And uh, I'm sure I had other great teachers as well, but the two that will always just, the ones who, who, they would come in early. They would stay late. They would they would get on the phone with me. I remember being on the phone with Mr. Armistead when I was struggling with a research paper once. I had him two year, two years, my freshman year and my my senior year, and um, <laughs> so much of school was a focus on grades. And for someone who wasn't good at getting good grades, it was unbelievably refreshing to have teachers who didn't give a shit about the grades. They cared more about your effort and your character, and seeing that you're really putting in the time. And so that's, that to me was, I think the biggest difference between them and the other teachers. So your mom fought to get you into special education. What do you think that she did right as a parent in that regard? And what do you wish that she had done differently? Man, that's a great question. And everyone listening knows how much I love my mom and, and how much like she went out of her way to try and give me the best possible chance for success. And I think, I, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for all the stuff that she did. Like even just thinking about, all right, after high school, I'm going to let you go to the Middle East for a year. And like, just, I, I know she got a lot of shit from other parents for letting me do that. You know, this is something I struggle with because my wife was in special education. I was in special education. There's a strong chance our daughter and God willing future kids will also have some learning issues and who knows, maybe be in special education. I don't know. I know the reason my mom fought for me to get in there was because she knew I needed extra help. So there's nothing wrong that she did there. She was doing her best to get me the extra help that I needed. The issue wasn't what she did. It was how I was treated once I was given all that extra help. Yeah. And I, a lot of it wasn't actually good extra help. It was the way that they spoke to me, the way that they treated me that like actually caused me to, to lower my level, lower the expectations put upon me. I don't think my mom did anything wrong there. I do think the one thing that I, my mom and my whole side of my mom's family is very, very focused on higher education. They are mm -hmm. unbelievably academic. My mom was a very high level lawyer. All of her siblings are doctors or lawyers or professors or superintendents. And they all place a huge emphasis on higher education. And I definitely felt that in the family. Never felt judgment from my mom ever, but from other people in the family, I felt very judged and very looked down on because I wasn't good at school. I wasn't, I didn't want to go to college, any of that stuff. I think the one thing that I'll probably do differently, because I'll like, I'll fight for my daughter to be in, in special education if that's what she needs. Like if, if that's where she'll, she'll do better. I'll fight for that in the same way. My mom always had my back. She would always stand up for me. Always. The one thing I'll do differently is I don't care if my kids go to college. 
it's irrelevant to me if you go to college. The only reason I did not join the Israeli Defense Forces, because I was there for a year after high school, the only reason I didn't stay there and join the IDF is because I knew that if I didn't come back to the States and go to college, I would really strain my relationship with my mom because she really wanted me to go to college. I already didn't have a relationship with my dad by that point, and I didn't want to risk losing my mom. So I was like, listen, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to school. The only reason I walked down the aisle or I, I, I took that graduation walk is because my mom wanted to see me do that. I would have left. I didn't want to go to the graduation. I had, I didn't care about it, but my mom, there was so important to her that she saw me graduate that like, that's why, like, cause I had, I had essentially graduated early. I graduated like six months early and we went back for the graduation six months later to university of Delaware only because my mom wanted to see me do that. So the main thing for me is I don't care if my kids go to college. I could give two shits. If they want to go to college, amazing. I, su I support you, 100%. If you don't want to go to college, amazing. I support you, 100%. The way that I think about it, and again, this is very early, is if the way that it was done for me was um, my mom wanted to help me cover the cost of college. And so the, there was a deal where like she would pay some and then I would pay the vast majority of it. If my kids want to go to college, I think I'll probably do something similar where it's like, listen, I'll help, but there's also going to be some on your end. I think it's really important to, to not just pay for everything. I think it's important for them to feel the weight of that a little bit. I've seen too many people who their parents are very, very wealthy and they just pay for everything and the kids don't really turn out that great. So I, I think it's really important, like I'll help. But also let's say she decides, my daughter decides she doesn't want to go to college and she wants to start her own business. I will pledge the same amount of money towards whatever my daughter wants to do as I would towards college. So if she wants to start her own business, like, listen, I would have given you this much for college. So I'll give you this much seed money to start your business. And that's it. I'm not paying your rent. I'm not paying this. Like, whatever you want to do, I'm going to support you in that. But um, I'm not going to place as much of an emphasis on college as, as was placed on me and as I think has been placed on other generations just because I don't think it's necessary at all. I think it's, uh, for some people it's great. And for some people it's terrible. And for me, I know for a fact, like I did not need to spend all that money on college. That is for sure. Do you think that you got anything out of college? The main thing that I got in college, and this is really important. The main thing that I got in college was time. Time almost stands still when you're in college, unless you're on a medical track or like an engineering track, or a law track, like these are <laughs> very intensive tracks. I, I started with exercise science, I switched to behavioral health psychology. Most of the stuff that I was learning, I had already been learning since I was 14, through actually coaching people. So I didn't need to study for any of my exams. And I, I made dean's list every semester. Like, and this is like the perfect example of when I focus on what I want to focus on, I had learned so much of the shit prior to going to college, prior to specializing in that, that like I didn't study once and I actually did pretty well in college. But what it did allow me was I got the opportunity to build my business. I built the foundation of my business when I was in college. I wasn't going to parties. And thank God I took that year off and I went to Israel for a year because I got all my partying out. I got all like that, like the young, stupid stuff out. By the time I got to college, I just 
I wanted to focus on coaching and building my business. So I started my website for my dorm room. And when other people were going out partying or, you know, college kids always say, oh, it's life is so busy. It's so busy. It's like, listen, if you have the ability to take a nap in the middle of the day, your life isn't that busy. Not busy, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, these kids, they were taking naps and going partying. And and I was waking up early. I had a, a competition with my buddy, Sean, where we would see who could wake up earlier and start working earlier. And we were waking up at like three or four or five in the morning every day and I would start working on my business. So by the the time I graduated college, I had an online coaching business. It it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near where, where it is today, but I had a legit online coaching business to the point where when I graduated college, my mom said, all right, so like, what are you going to do now? And I said, "Uh, I think I'm good. She was like, what do you, I didn't tell my mom that I had an online business. She was like, what do you mean you think you're, and this is like, my mom did not grow up with money. We didn't have money really much in our family. She worked unbelievably hard for her career. So for her to hear her son say, I think I'm good. She was like, what the fuck does that mean? And I was like, Mm. well, I'm coaching people online, which even now, over 10 years later, people are like, what do you mean you coach people online? Never mind in 2013. People being like, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm coaching people online. Like, what what the hell does that mean? And I told her. And she was like, how much are you making? And I wasn't making much. I wasn't making much money, but it was enough to support myself. And my mom was like, holy shit. She was like, are you paying taxes? That was her first question. Are you paying taxes? Mm, good question. And I, said, <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> it was like, I wish I'd been taught about that in high school. I wish I'd been taught about like, hey, yeah. here's how you pay taxes if you're an entrepreneur. Here, like, I wish I'd been taught about that stuff. I wish I'd been taught like many of that stuff. But I was like, no, I'm not. And so then she's like, God damn it. And then I, I came back and she helped me with my taxes and all of that. But I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. So I, I graduated and I had my own business. So yeah, college gave me time. It gave me time because... I really didn't care about getting good grades. And I actually did get good grades just because I had studied this stuff on my own mm-hmm. without like going through the college material. But um, that I think is the major thing. College can give you time. Whereas if I was just in the workforce from the very beginning, you're working all day. Like you're working nonstop. You're work- like, especially as a personal trainer, personal trainer schedules are brutal. You're up often at 4 a.m. to be in the gym by 5 a.m., you work from 5 a.m. to like 9 or 10 straight that many hours. Then you have a couple hour break until the lunch rush comes in. And then you work from like 11 to 1. And then you have a couple hour break. And, and then you work again from like 5 to 9 or 5 to 10. And in those couple hour breaks, you want to get your own workout in. Maybe you want to take a little bit of a rest. But it's like personal trainers have insane schedules when you're working in person. So I wouldn't have had the amount of time and energy. So essentially what I did with college is I paid for my own time. Like I paid Mm -hmm. a university to take my money so that I would have more time to then build my business, which is, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I was just in the workforce from the very beginning. So, um, yeah, that, that was the major benefit. And I met some amazing people. I started the, the, University of Delaware powerlifting team with a couple of other friends of mine. I got some great coaching experience doing that. Every step along the way, the university was putting up roadblocks for me. They made it unbelievably difficult for me, but it gave me time to build my business and to write articles online and to start making a name for myself and to continue studying what I wanted to study. And so, yeah, that was the major benefit. When you were diagnosed with 
was it ADD, ADHD? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference? There is a difference. I was told I had both at different points in my life. Okay. Uh, So (laughs) I, I was told I have ADHD. I was told I have ADD. I was told I don't have any, like I was like all over the place, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. So I was told everything and anything. So were you given like Ritalin or Adderall or anything like that? My mom wouldn't let them give me any of that stuff. And I'll start by this. I'll start by before, because this is a very controversial topic. I'm not saying what is right for you or your children. I'm only going to talk about myself, my mom. And because I did start taking that stuff later in life. And I'm talking talk about my personal experience with it. I'm not saying what's right for you or your kids or any of that. This is my personal experience, right? So don't get fucking mad at me and give me a one-star review because I say something different about Adderall than, than you or your kid. But my mom wouldn't let me take it. And um, I'm very grateful that she didn't let me take it. I have some very, very close friends who were given Adderall from a very young age and these are some of the smartest people I know to this day. They're some of the smartest people I know and never mind the physical dependence and the the physical effects, the mental reliance that these people have on it now. And one of them, she told me like the most devastating thing. She, this, this woman is one of the smartest women I've ever known. She's so sweet. She's so kind. And she takes Adderall every day she has since she was a little girl. And the reason she takes it is because she's been led to believe that if she doesn't take it, then she's not smart. Then she can't be productive without it. And it's only, and and she hates taking it. She hates how it makes her feel. She hates how, she hates everything about it, but she feels like she has to take it because if she's not, then she's stupid and she can't be productive which is just like, what an awful feeling to have from the time you're a little kid. And so my mom, with incredible foresight, decided to not let me, I want, I was begging her because I had friends who were taking it when I was a kid and I was, and I was, they were doing really well in school and all that. And I was like, I want to take it. I want to take it. But she wouldn't let me. And thank God, because I think that would have been my personality to be like, if I'm not taking it, it, like if I'm taking it, I'm, I'm only smart if I'm taking it. I'm only productive if I'm taking it. I would have had like that huge reliance. I very much believe that. And I know that because later in life, I started taking it. Once I was older and once I, I had uh, my own business, I believe the first time I took it was, it was 2015 or 2016. And it was one of those things where my buddy just offered it to me we were working together and he was like, Hey, do you want to take some? And, and I was like, yeah, why not? It wasn't like, Hey, I think I'm going to do this because for any other reason, like, yeah, it was just offered to me. It was a 10 milligram blue pill of Adderall. And bro, I worked nonstop for like 12 hours and my, I was in the best mood. I, I was so happy and like, yeah, I'm taking methamphetamine. Like I'm in a great fucking mood, you know, <laughs> like, like, and I worked for like 12 hours straight and I got so much done and I was like, oh my God, I just found the jackpot mm-hmm. and it's unbelievably addictive. And it's, I mean, if you look at the the dopamine response to, uh, people talk about the dopamine response to cold baths, dopamine response to methamphetamine is way better. And, and man, I started taking it and taking it and taking it and exactly what 
my mom knew it happened when I was a kid, I started doing it as an adult. And I don't regret doing it because it allowed me to work an unbelievable amount and it allowed me to build my business to where it is. But I think there's some real flaws with so much of what happened. Number one being living in a society in which like we think like we need to be working 24 seven. That's one of the reasons why I was like, I was like, the only way I can succeed is if I take this because then I take this, I get way more productive and I can work for 12 hours straight and I don't need to take any breaks. It's like, but that's not a healthy life. Like that's a terrible, terrible, terrible strategy. It's no wonder my blood pressure skyrocketed. It's no wonder that my, my health went to shit when I was doing this. Yes, my business took off, but every other aspect of my life went down the drain. Friendships, relationships, every, it, my health, everything. It was my sleep. It was not good. But business did well, so I was praised for it, right? I was praised for it because business did well and I grew my audience and, and that just only fueled me more. Keep taking more, keep taking more, keep taking more. And it got to a very abusive relationship in which I was abusing these methamphetamines. And, um, and I wasn't the only one. I was surrounded by people doing it. <laughs> and anyone who... It, it, it was normal. Dude, in, in the quotes, world right? of entrepreneurship, it is so normal. Like it is, it's, you're weird if you don't do it, especially with a lot of the people I was hanging out with and you know, living in New York city, like the, like the grinding city people, you go to New York to build a business, to start from scratch. Like you're surrounded by this culture, this hustle culture, this grind culture. You're sitting like, everyone's doing it. it. It was Adderall. It was Ritalin. It was Vyvanse. Dude, I took Vyvanse once in my life. Vyvanse once in my life. And I took one pill and this isn't a true story. I was up for three days straight with Vyvanse. Yo. For th I, I couldn't sleep for three days. I wanted to. I was worried I fucked something up. I was like, what is going on? I couldn't sleep for three days from taking that one and I didn't take it again. I was like, yeah, that was a little bit too much. I was super productive. I got a lot of work done, but it was not good. So then after several years of doing that, probably from like 2016, 2015, 2016 to 2019, I think I stopped. I went cold turkey. I'm very much all in or all out kind of a person. I'm not like, a, all right, I'll slowly go off or else I like, I was just like, you know what? I'm done. So I stopped, I think around January or February. Oh, you know what? I think it was January, 2019 is when I was like, all right, I'm done with this shit. And then I just stopped. And I haven't taken it since. And it was, it was brutal, man. Like, yeah, was there like dude, withdrawal? So much. I was sleeping for like 12 hours a day. Like, like my, my whole system was fucked. Like I was chronically tired. And then I had so much trouble working. I had so much diff because I was used to, I had trained myself to think I can only work if I take this. I can only work if I feel this way. And, um, I wasn't taking it anymore and it became exponentially more difficult to get work done. So yeah, there were some real withdrawals. It was very difficult, but I'm very glad that I stopped taking it because my life improved dramatically. Like after those six months, that like, there were six months of real withdrawals. And after that, everything started to get much better. I could work in a more appropriate manner. I wasn't uh, having these highs and lows with my, my mood and, and all of that stuff. It was much more even keel. But yeah, Adderall, Ritalin, Vyvanse, my mom wouldn't let me take it as a kid. I started taking it as an adult and it was, it was great for business, terrible for literally everything else in my life. Hmm. All right. What about 
the kid growing up with this right now? If if someone's in high school or and they're listening to this and they can relate to what you've gone through, what would you tell them? That's a great question. There's a lot that I would say. I mean, number one, I would say, here, here's what I would say. I remember growing up, I was surrounded by some of the smartest and most intelligent people that I've ever met from a young age who are now some, one of them, his name is Tucker. He's, he's a doctor now. Uh, Eli is, is very prominent. Eli Conwoods, his mom was my special education teacher. He's very prominent in the, in the overall like uh, public health sector. He's doing some really amazing work with HIV and AIDS all across the world. I've been surrounded by some of the smartest people ever. My best friend, David, one of the most naturally smart and gifted people I've ever met. And I was not that way. And I, it was very easy for me to get down on myself and to uh, regularly ask God, like, why was I stupid? Why was like, that was a regular question in my head. Like, why am I dumb? Why am I stupid? And it was, it was difficult for so many reasons. It, it hurt my confidence. It hurt so much of what I was doing, but I was basing it off of solely a, our educational system. That's all I was judging it on. It was, and it's funny because my buddy, David, like he's still my best friend to this day. And he makes, he, he like makes a lot of jokes now. He's like, bro, I really thought that you were an idiot. Like I thought you were stupid when we were younger because I didn't get good grades and he didn't understand how he couldn't comprehend the geometry or the algebra or like, I just, he's just like, yeah, I just thought you were stupid. And now we talk, he's like, you're legit. Like when I see the way that you write or the way that you approach talking to people or the way that you approach your relationships or the way that you like, the way that you make a video, it's like, it's a different type of intelligence. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. And he, he talks me up so much and I feel so blessed to have such a wonderful friend in him like that. But school is one type of intelligence. It's just one. And there are many, many types of intelligence. And if I could give a kid out there struggling with not being as, as book smart or as school smart as other kids in your grade or in your school, whatever it is, I really hope you know that it doesn't fucking matter. And I wish I had someone tell me this. I, no one told me, no one told me it didn't matter when I was a kid. They just told me I had to try harder. The truth is it doesn't matter. You don't need to be good in that one sphere of intelligence. And in fact, like what I talk about with my wife, with, with our daughter is I care far more about how she's going to treat people and speak to people than the grades she'll get on an algebra exam. Because the reality is like, if we really look at success in life and not just business success, but happiness and, and so many other markers and determinants of, of fulfillment and, and success throughout life, more of it just has to do with the relationships that you have with people and your community and, and, and who you meet and how you treat them and, and how people treat you and what you put up with and, and what you al allow and what you foster in your own home. And I think the vast majority of people who are the most successful in the world, not just in business, but in life in general, they often aren't the smartest kids in school. And, and if you are the smartest kid in school and you're listening to this, amazing, keep it up. But don't forget that, here, here's what I'll say to that, what that kid did. 
there were a lot of kids who were the smartest kids in school who, as soon as they graduated from high school, graduated from college, they struggled big time because they, they were always applauded in school for their grades. No one gives a shit about your grades outside of school. So it's much better to focus on being a good human and treating people with respect and listening to them and being kind and trying to offer people something as opposed to just focusing on your GPA. I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of very intelligent kids want to continue to stay in school for a long time. It's where they feel the most confident. They want to keep getting more degrees and more degrees and more degrees. They try and delay going out of school because this is where they feel the most confident. It's like, listen, it's amazing if you're super smart and super book smart and you're really good in school. But don't forget, that means nothing if you aren't nice and kind and generous and a good listener and, and helpful to other people. It's one of the reasons why I love... Um, I believe that the, the Chinese, one of the ways that they structure their school units is they don't do advanced placement. They have everyone in the same class and that way the, the smartest kids in class can help the kids who are really struggling. And I know a lot of people in America don't like that because they think it's hindering the smartest kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, actually, it's not hindering them at all. It's teaching them how to be good humans. It's teaching them how to communicate with people who might not understand things on their level. It's actually setting them up for the success they need outside of school as opposed to isolating them into these advanced placement classes with other kids who are also super good at that one thing and then treating other people like they're dumb and stupid and not understanding, hey, like, how about we all work together? So to the kid who's really struggling, just know it, it really doesn't matter. I, I was terrible in school. I was terrible in school. I was not smart. I was not considered smart. But I followed what I was passionate about. The things that I really cared about, whether it was exercise and nutrition and fitness. And I chased my passion. And then I tried to be helpful and kind to people along the way. And I think that more than anything will get you further in life than anything you could learn in an algebra class or a science class or any of whatever class that you take in school. Being kind and going after your passion, I really don't think anything else can beat that. I would love to end on that note. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, man. I love it. Also, and I know we said this last night on the phone, I want to add this one thing. Sure. A lot of people are told that something is wrong with them because of the, they have ADD or ADHD or any number of other things that you might have in your, if you're in SPED or if you're, if you have an individualized education plan or whatever diagnosis you might be given that you're weird or wrong or abnormal. I think that having, whether it's ADD, ADHD or any of these other things, I think they're superpowers. And I don't say that lightly. I think that they're actually a superpower that most people don't realize they're a superpower because they're told that something is wrong with them and they're told that they need to take medication to remove that superpower. We want to take the superpower away. We're going to give you this medication so that you don't that you act like everyone else. Man, that's a real mind fuck to be told like, okay, well, this is something wrong with you, so we're going to take this so you act like everybody else. Like It's like in the Matrix, the red pill, the blue pill, whatever it is. It's like uh, we're going to make you take the blue pill so you act like everyone else when in reality you've got the red pill. Like you, you, You've got this superpower. You've got the truth. And uh, I think the more that you can understand that you've got something very special and unique about you, the less likely you are parents. Like, listen, if you want to give your kids medication, that's your decision. But I, I sure as shit, I'm not going to give my kids a, uh, Adderall or Ritalin or Vyvanse because I think it's taking away what makes them so unique and so special. And expecting kids to not act like kids, in my mind, is fucking insane. <laughs> 
telling kids to sit quietly in a class for six, eight, 10 hours a day, like didn't work for me. That's for fucking sure. And, uh, I don't know. I think that what you've got is a superpower and we should be acting like it and not trying to take it away from kids. Yeah. You know, treating people like they can reach this high Mm. bar and not setting the bar all the way down here. Yeah. And celebrating, listen, we're all different. In every aspect of life, now more than ever, we understand we're different. And, and just because someone's different doesn't mean they should be treated differently. We should all be treated with the same level of respect and care and kindness, everybody. But for some reason, we're giving kids who are different medication to make them not different. It doesn't make sense to me. It's like, how about we... It, I'm, re- I'm reading a great book right now. It's t- Peter Atia's recent book. Um, it's called Outlive. And he's talking about the difference in in how medicine and how medicine 1.0, medicine 2.0, and how we're going into medicine 3.0. And medicine 3.0 is very much based on the individual. It's not based on averages over large populations. It's based on the individual, you. What is your body saying? And I think that education 3.0 needs to be based on the individual and not giving the kid methamphetamines to make them act like everybody else is quote unquote supposed to act. It's like, how about we treat the individual the way that this individual needs to be treated and help them based on what they're struggling with rather than, you know, and again, I know I've been pretty open with my stance towards, towards these medications. I'm not saying they're inherently wrong or bad. I, for some people, I'm sure they're great, but I think oftentimes we give kids these medicines in order to change their, their personality in order to change how they're acting. I just don't want kids to do that. I want kids to be who they are. Actually, there's something I want to dive back into for a second. Yeah. You know, you've been very open about the fact that you've had issues with your father mm. from a young age. How much of you acting out at a very young age when you're in second grade, third grade, getting sad faces when you come home every day, do you think had to do with maybe that as opposed to something about your brain chemistry? That's a good question that I've honestly never thought about. And I I would be ignorant beyond belief to say that what was going on at home was having no impact on me in school, right? So I'm sure it absolutely had an impact on it. I'm sure it did. In this moment, I can't really quantify how much. Like I can't say, well, it was 70% this and 30% this, but it definitely absolutely had an impact on like my home life what was going on at home, the stress at home, often feeling like I couldn't be myself because like I, I felt stifled in many ways. Uh, and I don't want to shit talk my dad. I still don't have a relationship with him. I wish him all the best, but in many ways I felt stifled. Like I couldn't be a kid. Like I was, you know, held to a very weird and odd standard. It, it was, it wasn't a really great situation. So I'm sure that once I got out of that situation, it was my opportunity to let loose and be a kid. Um, so yeah, thinking it probably had a very big impact on it as opposed to my brain chemistry and saying something's wrong. We need to give you methamphetamines to fix this. It's okay. Maybe there's something going on at home. But yeah. I think it's a really good point. Is there anything else you want to talk about on this one? Uh, man, I think that's, I think that was good. I know there was really no fitness information, but I hope this is helpful to people. I hope this is helpful to the parents, to the kids, to people who have, 
Nothing to do with this stuff. I, I hope it was helpful. And I appreciate you, man. Tony and I are recording podcasts every Wednesday at 8.30 a.m. because we need to put out more podcasts. But I appreciate you, brother. I think this was a, a fun discussion and I'm excited to dive into more. And, and by the way, everyone listening, if you have any questions, like this was a question from a listener. So if you have any questions that you want us to discuss, send them to Tony. Tony, where can they find you on Instagram? Tone, T-O-N-E, Reverie. R-E-V-E-R-I-E. Tone reverie. Is there an underscore in there? You know, that's a great question. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Awesome. Shoot Tony a uh, message. Let him know how much you appreciate him. And uh, any questions that you would like us to discuss or things you want us to answer, whether it's fitness or otherwise, we are more than happy to. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. 